And now, for some intro music. Let's podcast. Hello, welcome back to the Bits and Pieces podcast. This is episode number four, and this time I am joined, as always, by George. Hello. And Gav. Hello. Excellent. So today, we're going to talk a bit about Gav and his new Nintendo Switch, which is pretty cool. Uh, A bit about the Call of Duty Cinematic Universe, because we're only... Six months late about talking it's, about that one. Someone uh, brought this to our attention, and yeah. I put it in the podcast. I put it in the podcast show notes in like April. <laughs> Discovered yeah. it again, and you were fucking raging. <laughs> Just this is important. We need to speak about this. Exactly. Uh, George will tell us about about Brink and something called Twelve Orbits, and then I'm going to do some bit of talk about the Elder Scrolls Online because I played a bit of that. It's kind of good, and then we will do some board games, uh, which. Should be nice and fun. Do you want to kick us off, Gav, with you and your Nintendo Switch? Yeah, I the most important item on our our news agenda. It is. It is. One might say the only important thing anyone has ever spoken about in regards to video games is me buying things. Uh, Yeah, after a long argument, a long struggle with uh, Nintendo's persistent lack of stock. I eventually gave up and just ordered one. I own three games at the minute. I have uh, The Legend of Zelda, uh, the Breath of the Wild, the um, that one game that came out with the console. No, sorry, I forgot about 1-2-Switch, which I don't own. Um, I have that, which is excellent, by the way. As I but, think everyone who has ever lived has said. Yeah, it makes me want to get a Switch. It is a very, very good game. And I have Splatoon 2, which is also very good. And I have uh, Disc Air 5, which is... You have to be into it, but let's just say that the the combination of like it being a full-featured version of the game and also being portable is deadly. That is a JRPG? It is. It's the JRPG that grinds forever. It's like it's one of the strategy ones where it's it all, is on a I mean, but like Final that, those three games are like fifty percent of the Switch's library. I mean, what else yeah. is there? There's like there's, there's one two Switch, right. Bomberman, and Mario, Mario Kart, 8. Kart Deluxe. There's Arms. I played Arms at a friend's house actually, but I don't own it myself. Yeah. I have a fun story. Well, it's not a fun story. I went to a I went to a sweaty nightclub to watch people play Arms. Sweaty <laughs> nightclub. <laughs> yeah, well, not not did really. They have that on the I was like, <laughs> well, because I'm trying to write a couple of features on like video game places that you can go to that aren't your bedroom. Yeah, okay. Uh, and so still, I mean, I've got one up so far, which is just a review of the Board Game Cafe drafts, but there's a... I'm working on a review of my living room at the minute. <laughs> Someone else's bedroom. Yeah, yeah. Like the kitchen is soon to come. <laughs> but there's a, like, in, in, in London has a, like, a video game night out, I guess I would describe it. And only right. it's on a Wednesday, so it's really, it's really difficult to get to, because it's like, well, I've got work. Um, but they were hosting one, and it happened to be free. Mm. Um, and basically, they were advertising it as like an arms tournament night uh, at this sort of bar slash. So it's quite a club. It had you know it was like a basement with a DJ in it. Um, That's a nice club. Yeah, and so I was like, well, okay, you'll go go along to that. I sort of went went in, and 
I don't know, I don't really know what I was expecting, but like, yeah, video games on a night out was, it wasn't quite as exciting as I'd hoped. No. I mean, what? yeah, it was, I mean, not like, it was, I guess, it was, a, it was very slightly school disco-ish in that there were like about four <laughs> consoles which could host a battle token granted of about eight people playing games. Yeah. And then, <laughs> I mean, there were maybe like 35 to 50 people there. It's always difficult to estimate numbers. Yeah. But yeah, who we were then just kind of standing around, you know, chatting to the ones people we came with. And I'd quite like the idea of like, you know, perhaps just dancing to some terrible video game music that I, I think the DJ remix, but not really. It was slightly school disco. It's just kind of awkwardly standing around hoping that you might get a go on a console. <laughs> I don't want to. Uh, I didn't. So I so I ended up just watching lots of people like play arms. I don't, I don't want to do any socializing yeah. or dance. When do I get my turn <laughs> playing the video game? Yeah, and so, uh, and then, and then basically it was, I dragged my girlfriend along, so we ended up just going upstairs and having a drink and played some ping pong. And then I was like, well, I feel like I haven't really done my job properly of investigating this gaming night out, so I went back down about an hour and a half later, <laughs> uh, and it was still kind of, uh, I mean, like, it was a nice-ish atmosphere, it just wasn't particularly energetic for a, yeah. for a night out. And so I was like, well, it's, it's 10.30, I think I'm gonna... I'm gonna call it. So that was my exciting video game night out. Captain's log. Ten thirty. Still haven't got a chance Crazy. to play Nintendo Switch. Going home. <laughs> yeah. The um, they do a retro games night in Leeds every few months, which is usually quite good. I've been a couple of times, and there's there's, there's lots of consoles there. So because it's all old stuff, they just like they usually have about sixty consoles that feel like a, a loft in a pub, and um, that's usually quite nice. Actually, it's not normal. It's very little like. It's not massively busy. There's not like too many people to fit in the room, and there's always like something to play with someone random. So if you want to play like old school Mario Kart or um, Smash Bros or something like that, it's usually if you ever ever open Leeds, I'll see if there's one on because it's it's a yeah. good evening. Yeah, well, I mean, this one was called Gamer Disco, and they organise night out nights out in like a couple of different locations. I think it's like a month. It's like monthly. Yeah, and they have a couple like they have a couple of different bars that will host them. Mm. Uh, I mean, I feel like I should go to another one to give it kind of a fair, fair appraisal. Yeah. Now that my expectations have been slightly realigned, because I was kind of expecting a <laughs> a night of basically like a club night, just you know, a bit of dancing to some video game ish music, or perhaps slotted in between the I don't know other music, and then you could just go to the. A, a slightly more chilled area to play games, but it wasn't wasn't quite that. Uh, mm. But yeah, that was the it's called Gamer Disco, uh, and I keep seeing other nights that look quite fun. I think they hope they host uh, they host stuff in conjunction with uh, Kotaku UK sometimes. Oh, cool! Someone uh, recently cool. opened. A, I don't. I, I think they serve drinks there. I don't know if it's like it doesn't advertise itself much as a bar, but like a kind of gaming location in in Aberdeen, which is which is where I'm from. You know, they finally. Someone finally realized that uh, people in the like the that frigid north area where no one actually wants to live play video games as well, and so until it goes under in like two weeks' time, that does exist at the minute. I've been thinking about going and checking it out, but uh, I do right enough. <laughs> yeah, give us a, give us a review. Just well, tell us how it is. Because so, there's uh, there are two in there are two game like well, there's three video game bars in London that I know of. Uh, one's like a competitive esports type bar, uh, and then two are just kind of 
hubs. With so, like, what you're saying is, per head of population, Aberdeen actually has more video game bars than London. I with so. one, that, that, that wouldn't surprise me. Because there's like two hundred and fifty thousand people <laughs> here. There's one. And there's like eight million people in London, and there's three. So, Aberdeen wins yeah. again, boys. Yeah, I think I think there's one opening in Brighton soon as well, uh, and then in Norwich has got one. So Norwich might even be Aberdeen. So I reckon the population there is like all right, eighty thousand, hundred thousand. Yeah, the heads of population. I, I recently but... saw something actually unrelated, just to to completely car crash this conversation. I recently saw something unrelated, yeah, yeah. which is uh, someone compiled a list of places in the United Kingdom uh, judged by how many Greg's stores they had per head of population. Where was highest? Uh, I think it was... I, I can't remember. It was... I think it might have been Glasgow, but it, somewhere was... It, it was basically... It, the idea was they, they divided uh, the United Kingdom into... And specifically, I suppose, England on the map into how north places are depending on Greg's density. <laughs> so I wonder if there's any correlation between uh, heart disease rates and density of Greg's. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Possibly. Well, uh, not anyway. that nothing against Greg's. They are purveyors of deliciously cheap baked goods. Right, right. So, uh, so moving on to another exciting news segment. But we should address this semi-recent announcement in that it was announced this year, possibly, <laughs> or at least was covered this year, which is that uh, Activision-Blizzard are keen to launch a Call of Duty cinematic universe. Yeah. Uh, and so I was reading about this in, I think, April sometime and popped it in the show notes. Uh, and there it has <laughs> languished until I, until I dug it up. It. <laughs> I didn't resting. even notice it until today, so <laughs> good job, us. Um, but I mean, I don't really know what. Like, I've, I mean, I can kind of understand a standalone Call of Duty film because you know, I guess they there's it has a popular audience and they think they can make money from it. It's just the cinematic universe I find quite funny because all of the game, like most of the games, are like fairly segmented up into different universes. Like, I think the first four. Are meant to take place in the same. Well, actually, I guess modern, well, the modern warfare's do, and then you've got the funny future ones and the black ops ones, which are kind of split. But yeah, I imagine but, this this Earth that they've that will, that will that will host the the Call of Duty cinematic universe. The oh god, that's the the cods the cod coup, as the inevitable abbreviation will be if it ever gets green lit. <laughs> Uh, but like, what a terrible planet that they're just constant wars just all the time to facilitate the film. God, one would live on that planet, Jesus. <laughs> what about? I mean, like more. <laughs> like like the, the scope of the vi- like the Call of Duty video games that we've seen, where like you know, just constantly, you know, a couple of nukes get detonated. Yeah, but the the, the Call of you know, Duty like, like, like America has been invaded of, like... a few times as a as a as a land a massive land war in Europe. Mm. With the constant like war is bad, but war is so freaking cool. But yeah, but war is bad, but it's so cool. It's gonna be very confusing. Call of Duty is as like a cinematic universe, even as a film, makes very little sense because like it ha- it's <laughs> take Call of Duty out of like a, a military shooter, and it's just a military shooter. You can't. It doesn't having it be called Call of Duty doesn't make it anything 
specific. It's like having like the World of Warcraft film, for example. If you didn't call it the World of Warcraft and still had the exact same things, it'd still be like you'd be like, well, that's just World of Warcraft, surely, for all because of what's in it. But if you just had like <laughs> like a military film, it doesn't necessarily make it Call of Duty. No, it's just it's just Earth and and yeah. some wars going on. Yeah, it has nothing kind of unique to it. So. And I'm interested to know who they'll pick to be the bad guys. Because I, I feel like the Russians have kind of gone out of vogue to be the bad guys. Well, yeah. yeah. Surely, surely, I've returned, by the way. Surely, it would be North Korea at this stage. Depends how topical they're going to get, isn't it? Like, I, I can't imagine... Yeah, do you think uh, that Call of Duty will be the next uh, brave political out outspoken piece of art <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah they'll, just, they'll just there'll be an interactive cinema segment where it asks everyone to stand up and press f to pay respects <laughs> i can i can totally imagine uh instead of facing any of the days you know pressing modern issues instead they just uh go and uh well they, they are just making another world war Two one so also what make like yeah? Take your point of view. What ma- what makes the the world any different to any other film about war? Yeah, and um, specifically uh, Call of Duty. Like you could just have like Saving Private Ryan. I was Call of Duty. Well, it's <laughs> like, obvious. Be... Like, yeah, it could easily have been, but it doesn't make it any like having Call of well, Duty just, in the name. Yeah, just doesn't... just just the Blizzard Activision logo splash at the beginning. He's like saving yeah. Private Ryan, but at the start, you know, the Germans with the machine guns, uh, they get a kill streak and they get to call in dogs <laughs> and so on. And then helicopter just appears out of, out of literally nowhere. <laughs> I know, you know the bit at the end where Tom Hanks is on is on the bridge frantically trying to shoot the tank and it gets bombed. That's because that's because the guy in the back called in his kill streak. (laughs) (laughs) He'd been saving it. I mean, maybe they'll do something meta, and it'll be like a film about someone playing Call of Duty. Did anyone ever see? There's a dreadful film. I think it's called Gamer. Oh, I saw that. I I didn't um, see it. Yeah, with Scottish actor that does action films and was in Three Hundred. Oh, I know who you mean. Where like you play like everyone is playing video games, but they're controlling real people. Oh, so yes, there's like this segmented bit where like I think they're all I think they're prisoners and people like get sentenced to this are controlled by the people playing the video game and just have to shoot each other. No. And then there's a whole other weird segment where people are playing um like Second Life, but they're controlling <laughs> real people. <laughs> and, it's, and so like you have like and so it cuts to like this kind of very attractive woman like having sex with someone and then like it cuts to this kind of sweaty guy in like a basement kind of grunting and like type on his keyboard to control this poor woman. Surely not like a See, if it was second life, surely it would be like an eight foot furry monster <laughs> having having a like Lovecraftian intercourse. <laughs> yeah, I think what well, I think what well, I can't remember what happened. I think in the end uh Scottish action man breaks out of the gamer place. It's really unclear because he's really good at shooting people but at the same time is controlled <laughs> by like a, an 11 year old boy. Yeah. And, so it's, it's a, and then and it's not really clear which which one to do that but he breaks out into Second second Life or it's whatever its actual name in the film is <laughs> to, rescue, to rescue his wife who is being controlled by some like basement man. 
I can't remember I how it ends. Basically. I think I think there's like a, a big evil corporate entity that probably blows yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, I think that's how it ends. That uh, but I mean, maybe there'll be some sort of there'll be there'll, there'll be some sort of meta element quality. I doubt it. I think what they'll probably do is they'll start. They'll have a bunch of films that have like a, just a, like a stream stream like narrative. Like they'll have ones that are set in Second World War and then more modern and stuff, and it'll be like a corporation was evil throughout the entire time or something like. That. I think if they were good, yeah, I think if they're gonna, I do think a, that's what they'll do. They'll a just story, do a generic they'll... white man in a corporation was evil. That's probably like the most safe thing they can do. Get Kevin Spacey around Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think, like, a, if they were doing this, like, I guess what's the Black Ops storyline where it's they can cover lots of time periods because it's a guy remembering stuff. And that way they yeah. can be like, look, remember when we made a game about World War Two that we also happened to be releasing at the end of the year? And that time we made a game about Vietnam. And they can they can jump to all of the... I don't know. I think it's just... I think it's, the problem is because Call of Duty is just like, let's do a generic war. It's so difficult to actually do anything that's like, ah, this is Call of Duty. I mean, yeah. unless it's just like a, a straight adaptation <laughs> of one of the games. But at the same time, I it might just be like a really generic bad war film that uh, just completely sucks. I, I guess yeah. that's the thing. Like yeah. The thing yeah. that makes Call of, Duty, Call of Duty is all of the gaminess of it. Like, there are no... Beyond the gamey elements of killstreaks and stuff, there is no like identifying factor. It's not like Street no. Fighter where you can be like, "Oh yes, that is Ryu," or a Mortal Kombat film. You're like, "Ah, oh, look, that's Raiden." You're like, "Look, I mean, it's I... a it's a man with some stubble and a cropped haircut." You might recognize the characters <laughs> if you're if you're really into it, but well, I guess the only really recognizable character they had was, I mean, Kevin Spacey, but that's because you recognize Kevin Spacey and. Um, and Captain Price, with yeah, Captain, Captain Captain Price, of which there were inexplicably two. appeared in multiple locations. Well, he, and he had like a grandfather who was also just called Captain Price. He was identical. Called, who, who who shared his his military rank and <laughs> who, yeah. exact features and voice. <laughs> and then there was the time they like killed off that guy in Call of Duty Four, and then brought him back, but it wasn't him. Like. Yeah. The, the Cockney dude, and they, they were like, "Oh, he's dead now." And then he came back in Modern Warfare Two. Well, I'd be at a mascot, and they were like, "Oh, it's not him. Someone else. It's just the same guy." <laughs> was it like what's going uh, to those? The the, the two people, Art. the two people they've put on the project to, I get somehow get it off the ground. Uh, so there's, I think she's a co-president. Uh, I think Stacey Sherb. Apparently, she has producer credits on Pulp Fiction, Django Unchained, and The Hateful Eight. Right. So I mean, I don't know. How, you know, I, I guess uh, yeah, you, know, you never know how much of an involvement a producer credit actually gets. But a, bit of a film acumen there, I guess. Yeah, you know, there's, there's, yeah, it's not a, it's not a terrible uh, CV. Yeah, but at the but same they time, it, they're like, making a Call of Duty film. Yeah, but it, uh, it's, they're just throwing money at them, I'm sure. But um, but they want to make it like Marvel esque. So I, I, the thing yeah. I don't, oh, so apparently don't the other guy was um, he was a played a role in developing and. Basically, and actually acquiring Marvel and Star Wars for Disney, right? I don't. That's, I can't. I can't see Disney picking up the Call of Duty brand, but that's why it's a, a Call of Duty cinematic universe trademark. <laughs> Battles, uh, it, Battles, guard Mickey Mouse. Yeah. <laughs> As part of the new Disney cinematic universe, <laughs> after the third Civil War, <laughs> Mickey Mouse emerges alone. But apparently, that like it also mentions they might do it as a TV series. And so, I mean, maybe that would work better, that you could just have each episode be a little sort of 
conflict yeah, pastiche of. But one of the things with TV you have to remember is, in order to do like a convincing war series, you need an ungodly budget. I mean, it's and, an Activision. I, yeah, I, I, I guess they have money. But <laughs> if any I, company was going to need an ungodly budget, I, I don't know how many like sane investors would look at it. Like, so how many people on the on the, the the how many shareholders would be like, "Oh yeah, this sounds like a great idea. Like, <laughs> go for it." I to be know. fair, the, the most recent Call of Duty was slated for being pretty bad, and yet still sold like nobody's business. Oh yeah, I imagine yeah, just but... by having it say. It's Call of Duty. They can probably stick it on anything. Like, I mean, this, yeah, this, Call, this Call of box of flowers, basically... these flowers, these are Call of Duty. I bet they just go boom. <laughs> this, okay, these scissors, the... Call of Duty scissors. The business well, optimistic way to look at it. I mean, Call of Duty yeah. doesn't even have an identifiable soundtrack. It's not like Battlefield that has the, no. you know, the kind of the dun dun dun. I can't, I can't do it. Yeah. But the that little that little Battlefield riff. Um, I should do a Destiny one instead. A Destiny cinematic universe. I'd, I'd watch that. That yeah. has like an interesting uh, world and like characters and stuff. I, I just feel like, like I'm actually lying on a bed at the minute for one reason or another. So just so you can imagine me being all sexy. But <laughs> the I, I, the idea of cinematic universe just freaks me out because it's like. It's like someone's declared that anything can only be bankable if it's, you know, not just a film by itself, but also like a a lead-in to 20 other films. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, it kind of means, like, depressing, isn't it? Yeah, it's like... You can't make just a film, you have to make a film in seven sequels. Well, it's like if you can make the first one a hit and people enjoy it, you've kind of got semi-dependable income because you can, like... Like it just keeps bringing people back in. You don't need to keep taking yeah, yeah. creative risk. You're just like, but we've then, made uh, we've made an IP that gets enough people into the cinema that it is profitable, and we but, can just reel one out every every summer. Which I guess is why there are constant headlines about Hollywood struggling with a block, blockbuster summons. Yeah, but then the issue is they try to like rather than make a single good film and then lead into other things with it. What they try and do is establish a thing to begin with. And then if the first film is absolute gash, then they have problems. Like, what was it? The Mummy thing recently uh, yeah. was supposed to be a whole, a whole cinematic universe, and it's just, well, that was, was that terrible. was that was part of um, I think the the Dracula Untold was also meant to be part of that. Yeah, part and of neither, yeah. neither one have done well so far. No. Well, if you look at the just looking at like DC stuff, like yeah. Suicide Squad, but they they have struggled to establish themselves. Yeah, I think I mean, Wonder Woman finally kind of did it because it was all right. But yeah, it was, I yeah, it was that. that was after like God knows how many misfires. It was, I guess, because with Wonder Woman, they'd finally actually found a likable character. Yeah, who was who was she who and her she yeah she was pretty great in it. I, I wasn't particularly impressed by the actual plot and like story, yeah. but I was and the film itself. But I was like, actually no, I would I would watch Wonder Woman in in more films. I thought she was quite fun. Yeah, the the issue is like they tried to make. Like, right, so they had, they, they based this whole thing, they wanted to base it off anyway, two characters who were, you know, Superman and Batman to begin with in those those films. But the problem is it was, it was like, our soul Superman and our soul Batman. And it's like, <laughs> it's like that might work as, let's just say, an individual artistic exercise, but it didn't, by the way, but it could work. Like, you know, there, there's good comics about that. But, 
it doesn't exactly work as like something to base a franchise off, does it? It's like join in next time for more exciting adventures of the dickheads. And then then their other film was Suicide Squad, which was also not good, but for different reasons. And then it kind of just I don't know. Yeah, I don't I know the, DC. I think the could... I think uh, can imagine the Call of Duty film suffering from very similar problems to Batman vs Superman <laughs> because yeah. a lot of so much about that of that film was all of these little iconic moments strung together by very little it was in like particular. the trailer but with like bits in between the yeah he's like I, we need to get the Jesus like iconography of Superman yeah. descending from the light and we need a slow motion scene in which rain bounces off uh, like Batman's metal helmet and we need. Batman having a nightmare and struggling against, you know, in the kind of the wreckage of the world desolated by Superman. And you have all these incredible little tiny moments of kind of nice cinematography that look very impressive. And then in between, in between all of them is nothing but contrivance and kind of yeah. desperation to go, oh god, and we've got nothing, quick, cut to the next slow motion shot. And that is kind of Call of Duty in a way. Yeah, which it? is Because it's like of... you just have big bombastic set pieces. Run down the corner and shoot people, and then uh, let's have a slow motion thing of a, a building collapsing, or you cradling the arms of Private Jenkins, who you <laughs> formed a bond with 30 <laughs> seconds ago, and now you're realising how horrible war is. But quick, you've just been li- given a multi-grenade launcher time to go and kill everyone. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, well, now you've got to do a slow motion segment, shoot them all. It's cool, it's cool. And in a way, it is kind of cool, but yeah, it's like, trying to make a film out of that is... Mm, one way or another, not. Because mm. the way they say cinematic universe makes you think it'll be like, you'll follow multiple characters, and then <laughs> at some point they'll all come together and do it's something. Like what characters? Like, make like, like, the War Squad or something. They'll come War together. They'll <laughs> <laughs> come together and then they'll the like. Fight men. They'll blow up something really big or something. I don't know. Conscripts. Conscript. <laughs> Did. And, and I was thinking to myself, like, you know, the, the only, like, the only film, I, the, the Call of Duty game, I would say, almost works as a film. I was thinking to myself, it's like, oh, it's World at War. But the World at War worked as a, a film because it shamelessly ripped off like every war film that's ever existed. <laughs> like, well, yeah, so- all, all, I mean, all of the Call, all of the Call of Duty World War Two ones did. Like, there's, I think, in in one and two, there are huge segments where you're just playing scenes from like Band of Brothers or Starling. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of <laughs> nutty. It's like if I remember right, someone did a, a whole list where. Um, the entire Russia bit of the film is like many bits, like the whole sniper battle. It's basically just animate the gate. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and then, you know, there's all the other bits. Like, yeah, it's. I imagine lots of the uh, the bits in in the uh, Pacific Theater were lifted from the uh, TV series of the same name. Yeah, it's a weird but, thing as well. Like most people, I think. Well, actually, I think the Pacific came out after World of War. So ah, right. Okay, oh, fair right. dues. Fair dues. It's still a weird thing that like not, not many people buy a Call of Duty game to play the story. So no. I don't understand how they're going to sell Call of Duty in like some good stories or something. I like it, I don't. It seems to be like a bit of dissonance between those two bits. <laughs> a bit confusing. Because mm. I mean, if they can't sell people on the story of their games, how are they going to sell people on just the story alone of a film? Well, the, I think I, I, in many ways, I think Call of Duty will make an incredible trailer. <laughs> And it will achieve their aim of pa- of trying to pack an opening weekend. I thought that's true. And then and, uh, make, you make your money back, which is like I mean that's what that's what block like, like that's how blockbusters became a thing. It was the idea that you have a bombastic trailer 
with enough things that people recognize and like that you can pack an opening weekend, make back your budget, make some profit, and then by the time that reviews come out and you're into the second week of running and no one's going, it doesn't matter because people have you've managed to push everyone into the cinema. Yeah, I suppose it is like amazing marketing as well for the next next actual game. Like, just, again, having it, having, is, just having that just like super high budget live action trailers of a Call of Duty game essentially. Sure. But I mean, it, it has us interested in, at least, in that we're interested to see how they go about doing it. Yeah. I want to see how this car crash unfolds, yes. Hmm. I, yeah. I mean, not to be not to be a negative Nancy, but uh, there have been no good video game movies. And so I, I don't think that a video game movie with a bunch of money is going to be the <laughs> the solution. <laughs> like, I don't think the problem with, you yeah. know, uh, Alone, in the, <laughs> Alone in the Dark... <laughs> fucking you evolved but anyway i don't think the problem with what was it like max Payne, assassin's creed uh i, I don't even yeah, know, I think the problem Prince of Persia. Was not that they didn't throw enough money at yeah that i know was not like the problem with they it. were all pretty high budget and yeah they've, they've all crashed yeah well I, I mean mm. there was what what's what film i remember hearing they're making a film of something recently oh well yeah they did make that one phoenix they are Wright they film are making Japan, films but uh apparently that was decent Anyway. Of what, sorry? Phoenix Wright. Yeah. Oh, really? It sounded very daft and probably was, and probably worked because it was a bit daft. Unlike, I mean, but it, I feel you, like... say, you said there have been no video game films, but amazingly, I saw, I watched, uh, I watched Clue recently, which, uh, is a, which, is a, which is an adaptation of a board, a board game. game. And somehow it works. And it, <laughs> like I don't, I, I, I'd always like it's, it's a brilliantly fun kind of cult film almost because, like, it's, it's. I mean, it, it is, it is, it is completely perfect. So it's, it's a murder mystery. People are summoned to a house. They arrive, are greeted by this mysterious butler, uh, played by Tim Curry, like the most perfect casting. Um, hmm. And they all, you know, they arrive and they try to introduce themselves and they all get given a name. It's like, oh, no, no, sorry, for this evening, you are Colonel Mustard. <laughs> and, and like, so, cause none, and none of them are allowed to use their real names. And, like, you know, any you know, sort of things transpire, there's a murder, everyone's trying to figure out <laughs> what's going on. And it is, it's just lots of kind of fun, like, quite silly comedy. It's very campy. Like, it's perfect kind of Tim Curry in, a, in like, doing a comedy role. Um, but what's really cool is that you, you can't, I mean, you can't really solve it, but, so, but at the end, uh, they, they kind of do the, the kind of clue reveal, um, and then they, you know, they make jokes about being, you know, it was so-and-so in the room with that, with the weapon. Like, there's a, well, there's one point where they all end up with one of the, the iconic weapons. Mm. Um, but what was really cool is when it was released in the cinema, different cinemas were sent different endings. <laughs> that is cool. So there, are, I think there are three total endings, and basically different locations would be sent a different ending. And so, when people saw, when I think it was released in the eighties, I think. Uh, but yeah, people would were chatting, and they'd be like, "Oh, so you know, you know, did you how did you figure out it was so and so?" And they'd be like, "What? No, that's that's not how it ended." Uh, and they, and they and they they kept the, basically the endings separate for a really long time. Like when they released it on videotape, you would just get one of the random endings, 
<laughs> and it wasn't until I watched it on DVD, and it wasn't until they released, basically did a DVD sort of, I guess like an HD release, that they put all of the endings together. And so when you watch the DVD version, you get one ending, and then it goes, uh, and it goes, that's how it could have happened. Here's how it might have also happened. Mm. And it plays the next ending, and basically it plays you all three. And kind of leaves you up. It leaves it up to you as to which one you uh, you think happened. Right. Do all the endings like are they coherent? Sure, that's really difficult to do if, if it's just the ending that's different. Yeah, kind of. So it kind of it's what it kind of get basically it, it the it starts to diverge as like everyone kind of you know the, the kind of the sitting room reveal like everyone is in the the main hall and basically the butler goes, but wait, I know how they did it and. And let me explain, and then he basically from that point it it, the, right. it splits into three different endings, and he explains three different things. Cool, That's um, interesting. but yeah, like I was, I was amazed because it, it, yeah, it has so it has lots of little obviously nods to to Cluedo. Yeah, yeah. Without being just completely, like completely dumb, and it and it is so, it's, it's 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 a fun campy watch. I feel like the success of a video game film is like inversely proportional to how serious it takes itself like like every in, in essence most video game films that have been made have a uh, the the like Zack Snyder problem that basically the Batman versus Superman had in that yeah. like everything is has to be uh, grim sour-faced and serious no acknowledgement of the fact that games are actually fun um like yeah i think well, one of the issues is that like most games, a lot, a lot of games, mainstream games especially, are made for like teenage boys, and that doesn't often translate into like an actually good film. <laughs> teenage boys might just want to like see explosions and stuff, but that doesn't translate into being a good film. Yeah, I mean, I can understand. I can understand why they wanted to make like why why you try and make like an adaptation of things like like Max Payne and Hitman and stuff because like. You know explosions and cool gunfights and things. Yeah. But like, like in reality, you have to have like all the other bits in in well, a narrative like, to think, make it actually. Work. Well, Max Payne could have been quite a good film because, like, the, I think like Max Payne Two is is brilliant. Like, it's this really it's this fun kind of noir story, but there is there is a sense of self aware irony almost. Like, it that knows it, it knows it's being this kind of it knows it's kind of very like it's a kind of po faced kind of gritty noir. And so it kind of and almost makes fun of itself, and like in Mac and you know Max's own kind of narration, he's almost he's almost tired oh, of, of how grim everything is, and kind of yeah. just like it's also like you know it's like because really I should have known she was dead by the time I already got there. Things always like and like the, all those. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's another there's the, self parody there, but I think in the and then it was completely lost in the it was Mark Wahlberg and Mila Kunis, wasn't it? In the uh, yeah, I think yeah. so. Incredibly disappointing. Yeah, it was really shockingly bad. terrible film. <laughs> yeah, awful. and then what what astounds me about Hitman is that there wasn't just one Hitman film; there was two, wasn't there? Didn't they try and adapt it twice? Did they? So, yeah, I feel wrong. like there was a really uh, one ages ago. There was a long one long ago, and then there was an, a new one that they were both crap. But like the thing is with Hitman, right? And and Max Payne, like you say, like they're funny. Like they are one way or another. Like Max Payne, even if even if you're one of those people that takes it totally serious. Like, you know, there's still fun elements. You're still, like, diving through the air, shooting people and so on. And, like, if you just try and translate that into, like, a grim movie about a guy whose parents are dead. No, I don't know. I think his parents are dead, yeah, but that's also, not important to the story. 
Yeah, um, like he his 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 wife and newborn child yeah, are yeah, murdered by uh, like hyped up sort of psychos on this drug. But and like yeah. so much of about it is his grim life and his descent into alcoholism and reliance on painkillers. Yet there are also moments where you have a boss fight against a man in like a baseball mascot costume. Yeah, it's it's really dumb. Like it's it's got <laughs> dumb bits that are like supposed to be funny, and like you say, the whole way when it's being uh, really you know grim and noir, it's aware of that, and it. It takes the piss a bit, and like even down to the fact that Max Payne's face is like this this photograph of the guy. Oh that god, made yeah, the, the, game. the Max Payne one face is the most ridiculous <laughs> thing. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, a, it's like it's, yeah, it's basically a photograph stretched over like this kind of polygon model. And it looks so bad. And like, like, like well, trying to play Hitman as like a a serious film is it just doesn't work because no. like Hitman is all about uh, having a having fun with the game's mechanics. Like, you know, you, you you strangle someone out and you dress up as a maid and you sneak through the back and so on. Exactly. Obviously, there's serious ways to play it, but, like, you crush someone the with a falling piano, that kind of thing. Yeah, those are the bits that are, like... Because those are the game gamey bits that make it, like, distinct. Whereas what you end up with in a film is, like, you you don't have those silly moments because it wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily gel with, like, having the overall film's narrative if at one point... <laughs> Hitman just dressed up in a dress and dropped a piano on someone, yeah. and then the next scene he's like super serious again. It wouldn't, it just wouldn't work, I don't think. But yeah, well, like, they did the entire like, thing in, like that in Hitman, you're about to assassinate someone, and like you're about to pull them through a window, like I think in the tutorial of one part, and it's like, and you hear the guy on the phone going, "Oh, but like he's like telling his mate, I just heard from my doctor, my heart condition's cleared, I'm gonna live." <laughs> <laughs> and then you pull him through a window, yeah. or like yeah. in, I think it's in Max Payne Two, as you. There are loads of TVs throughout the levels, and you can actually get, and they're all showing like these like five different shows. But as you progress, you catch different episodes that actually progress the story. So if you pay <laughs> attention, you literally watch the TV of these like five like there's a there's like a like a really hammed up period drama, and like there's and then, like there's a cartoon that features the baseball mascot that you fight, and like they're all just completely like, dumb and over the top, and it kind of laughs at, and it's almost laughing at Max Payne itself, which itself is this kind of. Noir pastiche, and it kind of is. That is that would be kind of weird. Like you couldn't do that in a film. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's like I feel like the reason the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe works is because it's it kind of recognizes how daft comic books can be, and that it was has actually, a bit yeah. of, has a bit of fun with it. Yeah, and that then, was that was what was great. I love like I've been really tired of a lot of the Marvel films, but I love the most recent Spider Man, and there were a lot of like jokey elements to the ridiculousness of the Marvel world in the in Spider-Man Homecoming where it's just like I don't know like I think it's like their gym teachers just like just like makes a, co- a couple of comments on just like the ridiculousness of the Avengers or like they have a PE class from Captain America given <laughs> from like a, a TV presentation yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway should we move so on what, what video games have we all been playing as uh, I mean, you've been playing the Switch a lot now. I, I have. As I, how, as I how, is, how is Splatoon 2? You've been drawing lots of little emotes for your I squid person. I haven't been because I can't draw, um, but I've been enjoying the things that other people have drawn. But yeah, yeah, Splatoon 2 is it's a very fun multiplayer game. It's so so enjoyable. It can be a bit frustrating, like every multiplayer game ever made by man, but at the same time, it's it's, it's, it's very good. The, the Switch, it's, it's fun. And like you can just, it's magic. It's magic. <laughs> I don't know. I I, mean, they, I have complaints about Splatoon Two. It's 
it is Nintendo trying to do an online service, and this is not something with which they are experienced or at which they are good. Oh, I heard so, about what the you have to have like a separate app on your phone in order to have in order to want, talk to people. If you want to have, do voice chat, yeah, you have to install the Nintendo online app on your phone and then yeah. join a lobby or something. And so I just ended up using Discord. And, well, like, yeah, it just seemed madness. But yeah, if you want to like deliberately join a friend's like private lobby, you have to have the app. Yeah, and, and you have to have the app like continually open on your phone if it closes it's, then the entire thing it's a bit ooh, it's, shuts it's, you a, out mm, it, <laughs> it sounds it, a bit shit you can do it through the actual game but it's a bit it's a bit painful like right so there's no like party play like there's no you can't join a party with a friend and then go into matchmaking if you want yeah. to play with a friend you have to basically just join a matchmaking lobby and then have them join it and so obviously there's no guarantee you'll be on their team or anything and I, I guess fair enough for game balance reasons but yeah, that's the same in normal and ranked. If you want to deliberately like team up with friends to see how good you are, you have to unlock the league mode, which involves going from level 1 to 10 in normal mode, which isn't that difficult, doesn't take that long. Mm-hmm. But then from that you have to go to like I think like rank B+ plus or something in the ranked mode, which I think might be quite difficult. And then you unlock league play. And so, so yeah, it's a bit of a why, that fun. seems so unnecessary. Why don't you just give everyone everything? To well, with? worst thing, lots. Of, how do you get like lots of games do that? Like uh, CS:GO, you are not allowed to play competitive, or at least like competitive get game mode until you hit a certain level. And Overwatch, yeah. and Overwatch is similar. Like you're not allowed to play competitive until you're level twenty five. Yeah, I, I get that feature. I don't know. I'm always I'm conflicted on it because I think yeah, finally it lets you. You obviously have to play enough to become experienced with the game, but often the the like quick play variants are often so chaotic and kind of often unfun that it kind of puts you off the game. Like I spent, yeah. like I'd always hated CS:GO because I'd like I'd able, I'd have a go and play in like sort of quick play, um, and just be like this is this is the worst because it'd be like teams of like ten people just in a ty- in a map designed for what's it four and four, yeah, um, and it was it was just, it was a terrible experience. And basically, um, some friends were playing, like, you know, come on, just get through the levels. I promise you, competitive is a bit better. Eventually got through it of, like, two, like, like had to get to level two, but, like, the the XP gains were so short. Yeah, they're eventually got, like, got into competitive. It was like, oh, actually, CSGO isn't the so, yeah, you actually horrible game. The, game. I, the competitive experience is actually quite fun. And, you know, it can be frustrating and it's difficult, but it, it's... It's a completely, it's a completely different experience to the stuff you get in quick play, where it's just complete chaos. Whereas the passive experience is slightly slower, yeah. more methodical, and reliant on teamwork. And over, I mean, Overwatch is kind of the same, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's really like, like so. Like quick play, it's sucks. not quite as bad. Yeah, quick play sucks <laughs> yeah. though because basically no one is playing. Yeah, properly. No one. No like, one's really playing properly, and it's and it's and I can kind of understand it if you you want to relax from playing very seriously and competitive. Yeah, but it means that. If you're trying to get into competitive mode, like constant quick play games, are just like mad, yeah, and it te- but that's the thing, and it teaches you nothing re- that is really useful for going into competitive, other than like, oh well, I know that these characters do these things. Yeah, it, g- it gives you experience with the functions of the game, but at the same time, like nothing about the important bits of how the game is actually played in competitive mode, which. Yeah, like, you know, like totally where, where you need to be in relation to your team, when to push together, like, 
how to proper like if you're trying to flank properly or yeah yeah i, I don't know I've, I've not played ranked on splatoon yet so i can't say whether or not it's like that but yeah it, it's just I, I feel like because nintendo have basically almost no experience with designing proper online functionality for games it's something they're going to run into problems with and I must say, at this stage, I'm glad they've not rolled out it being a paid service yet, because, like, I don't know, it, 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 like, so I like Nintendo a lot, but it lacks any of the fluidity of any of the other online services I've ever used in my life. It's such a weird thing, and like, why don't they just hire some people who have done this sort of stuff before? I don't like, know. Instead of trying, like, just figure out for yourself, just hire someone who knows what they're doing, and then, oh yeah, great. Just, I mean, I'm I, assuming... It would think that that is not something that's infeasible. At the same time, I think part of the problem, obviously, is I don't know if the Nintendo Switch has. Uh, I don't think it has like. Obviously, they didn't make it with a microphone port, so like that's why right. you need to use your phone. But at the same time, that's like a design fault. But yeah, I don't know. It's uh, yeah. What uh, ports are in it? What ports does it have? Does it have basically it has, well, a, it has, has a head it has a headphone port, doesn't it? So has it a headphone does... port, and it does. It has a USB Type C, and USB Type Cs are magic. They can basically do anything. But yeah. Uh, at the same time, that I think having synchronous voice chat would involve a lot of design that they just don't know about and obviously mm. did not think was that important. And I understand part of it is like, like I can't see Nintendo ever introducing like in-game voice chat, like just lobby voice chat, for the reason that they want to be they've always wanted to be a family-friendly kind of platform. I suppose that's true. Yeah, you know what <laughs> you know what people are like in video games. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway. Because most people have a phone anyway, or some way of just they want to do a voice chat. On but aye, it's, it's a hassle because I need to get my phone and then like I need to put like an earphone in, but just one earphone to, to talk oh, yeah, to my friend. Oh, of course, so you can hear phone. the game as well. Yeah, it's yeah. a, it's a, a pain, actually. It's a far. But anyway, yeah, but yeah, Split, Splatoon two. Despite that, Ace, amazing game, just really, really fun, really colorful, really goofy. Has kind of a fun progression system. It can feel a little topsy turvy sometimes, just because, like when you first start out, the gun you're given just kind of sucks, and it take, it it requires a lot of adaptation because it's it's not like a normal shooter at all. So you're cause cause you're it's a shooter, but you win by you've got a paint gun and you're trying to color in more of the map than the enemy team. In in one mode, yeah, like in the normal mode, yeah, that's the case. But yeah, like at the same time, because it's a paint gun, uh, basically one thing you need to get used to versus other games. Is that it's not really a game about like a long range shooting skill. It's a game about mobility because just about even the, the longest range guns in the game are really short range. Like mm. you're you're lucky if you can shoot someone across like a, a like a, a mid sized space with it. Like they're they're all very very short range on purpose because obviously part of it is you know you can go into like squid mode and move very quickly throughout your team's covered area. And so yeah, there's a lot of really interesting mechanics in it. And once I once I've played it more, I might consider them in in, in more depth. Cool, George. You want to talk talk a bit about Brink and stuff? So yeah. To, uh, so like, Brink, a, Brink is basically a game that broke my heart and kind of in many ways hardened me to the the video game mm-hmm. hype machine long before the uh, the despairs of other games. So I think it originally came out in 2010, possibly, like maybe late 2010, possibly 2011. And yeah, basically it was an objective shooter that had a parkour system uh, and a class system. Uh, and I think the, the setting was, it was set up like, you know, 
the, the seas rise, people escape on this utopian floating city, uh, and there's basically a divide between a lot of people that came there as refugees who live in like a shanty town and the people that originally lived there. Uh, and there's no one's heard from the outside world. The refugees want to try and escape the city because they're treated poorly and suppressed. Uh, and they're kind of, kind of basically, like, they look kind of like anarchist stereotypes. There's like a lot of anarchy symbols and kind of. Yeah. So that sort of thing, you know, like face masks and sort of clothing. Then you've got like security forces who um, want to stop them from damaging the arc and escaping. But it. Brink is a game of a million brilliant ideas, not a single one of which is executed well. <laughs> so like, yeah. like the, the, I remember, I remember, cause I remember being excited for this game, despite not having a computer that could run it, not knowing anyone that I would play it with, and not being able to afford it. Like there was no <laughs> way I was ever going to play Brink. Uh, basically, when it came out. Yeah, I was really excited because I'd watched all these brilliant, like, had really awesome trailers that, you know, lots of sort of cinematic things of. Yeah, it's very like interestingly art designed people. They kind oh of, yeah, it's, it looks really like they good. had they had really sort of odd proportions, but they everyone everyone had these kind of very like cool distinct looks that uh, they looked really interesting. Um, and you know you'd see them because it had like a free running system. You'd see them doing all this very cool acrobatic kind of action, and then they brought out lots of gameplay trailers. Uh, and there are like four classes as well as three different body types. So if you're a heavy man, you can carry heavy weapons, but you can't really do much of the free running. And if you're a medium person, you can carry like assault rifles and everything lighter, and you can do some of the free running. And if you're a very light person, you can only carry like the lighter weapons, but you're supposedly very mobile. And then there are classes, and it was everything was emphasised about the objective play. So like, there's an escort mode, and there's sort of assault modes. You got to like blow up an objective and progress through. And every class can do different things to aid the objective like the soldier can place explosives to blow up barricades and sometimes that's the main objective and other times you can blow up a little corridor that is a shortcut for your team yeah. and then the engineer like repairs the payload and then can repair damaged bits of the map that mean it takes a little longer for the team to get there and like the spy can disguise themselves uh, they, if they find a, an enemy corpse they can disguise themselves or even interrogate the downed soldier it has a revive like a revive system similar to other games, and then the medic just revives people. And at any point, you can bring up this little objective wheel, and it will tell you the main objective, and then your like class specific objectives. So it might be like if you're a medic, like oh, there's some people down over here, or if you're a spy, you'd be like go and capture this side of th- side thing. Yeah, and this and, and, and it all looks amazing because it's like wow, you know. You've, you've all got these meaningful roles that kind of contribute to the overall objective game, and they promise these huge, like these wide open maps that would facilitate incredible movement. Uh, I, I know the name, and, and I've, I've, I've heard of Brain Camera where it came out. Around and I, I like know very, very well about it. So I'm just, shortcuts. Just learning. And I, remember, I remember the trailers looked amazing. Like the parkour yeah. looked really smooth, like all the UI and menus looked ace. And, 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 like and it does have a, a, a decent parkour system. It's just like so it released and apparently right. oh, that, the networking yeah, that was just that. terrible. Yeah. So everyone experienced yeah. really bad lag, and um, the game in general was just it just wasn't great. Like it was a bit guns... of a stodgy mess. So I finally got to play it a couple of years later. I still picked it up on Steam sale, and nothing quite works. Like all the characters mm. are just a bit too slow. Like well, actually, yeah, at the time it felt alright, yeah. but the reason I 
brought it up now is because it recently went free to play. They're yeah. currently like literally currently the game is just free. There are no elements in it that have been added as of yet that are indicate free to play. Like they've just made the game free because it was made by Splash Damage. Yeah, who yeah, were that, that was one of the things by a Chinese company whose main business, yeah, I think is poultry. Yeah, I remember hearing about that. And it? yeah, for some reason, for some reason, acquired Splash Damage and now released brings free to play. But I played it the other day, and it was really interesting because so many lots of brink ideas have been picked up by other games. Like it had that Titanfall idea of you play a multiplayer campaign that is the storyline. That is a yeah. series of multiplayer matches that form a coherent story, and that and Brink did that. So you played like on the police side, and you played eight games that were about that were multiplayer games that you had to win in order to progress the police story. That were basically just bookended by cutscenes, um, and that was pretty unexciting. Yeah, and like it had a parkour system which Titanfall also picked up. But going back to it, you're so slow. So like, yeah, fine, you can climb onto most things. But coming from the kind of near weightlessness and speed of things like Titanfall or I guess the more recent Call of Duties, Brink, you just feel like, I, c- I can barely move. This this doesn't feel like I can I have really any mobility compared to yeah. none whatsoever. That's what I remember about it at the time. It's just like, like, even, I don't know, I guess, like you're saying, it wasn't that bad for the era because shooters were a lot slower paced then. But I, even I remember like coming from like a background of something like Team Fortress 2, there's other games that were generally a bit like, like quicker on their feet like i remember going and, and like i remember for one i was playing it on the xbox as well so that didn't help because the gunplay wasn't very good on, i don't think it was that good on anything but yeah no, on like controllers it was yeah remember, the guns just felt bad the guns looked really cool and yeah were like, they had, nice. a really, had an awesome customization system where you could you know put like a million attachments on and it looked really fun yeah and it was then, great it was just the guns kind of handled like crap the it never nothing. The kills weren't particularly satisfying because everyone had like just a bit too much health. Yeah, it, so, like, was it quite would take spongy. like a magazine to kill someone, and there wasn't really much feedback, and it was all a bit nothing quite worked about it, and which is really disappointing. And so I, and then yeah, so I saw it had gone free to play, so I picked it up again recently, and basically just all of the disappointment all over again. Yeah, it's like the, unsurprisingly, I don't think Splash Damage spent a huge amount of time maintaining the game because. Yeah, Nevi, I don't know, are you familiar with Splash Damage? Because I know you're not that much of a multiplayer shooter guy. Yeah. Basically, for a long time, well, I suppose, just I think it's still got an active community, but they have a kind of legendary status for making one of the definitive, like, early 2000s multiplayer shooters in Wolfenstein enemy territory. And, yeah. Yeah, which did and, have a very strong class system and kind of yeah, objective-based like, game modes. They kind of, to be honest, like compi- like obviously there's the original Team Fortress mod and so on, but like in terms of popularizing it, they did a huge amount to popularize class-based stuff, like it in Battlefield, kind of. But yeah, yeah, and it's just a shame because like, and the maps themselves were quite small, so it was like, yeah, there's the main corridor, and then there's like one other route that you can kind of parkour over. Because basically yeah. the parkour system basically just turned out to be you can climb over all the obstacles. Yeah, I remember that. That it was never the most felt disappointing thing. satisfying. Well, yeah, it was just like, oh, you can sprint at something and jump over it. And it's like, right. Especially, I think... And if you're a lighter class, you can sprint, jump at a ledge, and then you'll grab it and slowly pull yourself up. Yeah, I feel like one of the things <laughs> it had was the... I guess the disadvantage. Like, in an, on an aesthetic level, as well as, like, obviously the way it marketed itself, the way it looked, 
everyone I think everyone I think was hoping for like it, obviously it existed post the Mirror's Edge and everyone was hoping for yeah. that kind of movement system I think like you know being able to well, sprint like, yeah wall, it basically run, was it, it was jump. very it was basically the Mirror's Edge movement system in the sense that you would sprint and then you kind of aimed your camera and had a jump button it was yeah. you were so slow you were very slow and I don't think like you didn't have that many mobility options really apart from like you say just jumping on stuff and yeah, and then like I think if I remember right, because there was yeah there was different classes, and, and but none of the classes of them, actually did that much. What had been advertised as like important battle roles really didn't turn out to be particularly anything yeah, exciting. I, re- I remember the whole secondary objective thing was supposed to be really big because it was like oh yeah because every every different class every different player will have different things they'll be focusing on at any given time that will cohere into a, a larger objective, and I can understand how they'd bungle that in 2011 because that's st- something people still fail to do now but yeah and it was it, it, and it was cool because you could bring up a little wheel that told you your specific objectives and you'd select one and i guess yeah, it would like point out you were doing that and it was interesting because obviously it tried to have all these different sub things that a lot of games just don't bother with that now like they obviously i think maybe Many games have that in the game design, but it's something that's kind of left to the player. So obviously, you know, there's a lot of games that have like revival mechanics, or they'll have additional things different classes can do, but it's something that's kind of left to people to figure out. But in a way, it gave you the option of like marking them. I don't, know, I don't. Know. But yeah, yeah. They, they had a lot of interesting ideas that, yeah. like you said, like, other games cribbed from. Yeah, I mean, even better. the even the very like the really cool aesthetic was kind of let down because you could customize your character with a ton of cool gear, but they were really like, and it was too, it was almost too free because you could play as the anarchists who, like by default, had a very kind of rusty orangey kind of color scheme, and then the police were kind of you know lots of greys and blues. The problem was you could customize your character and change all the color scheme. So it became very difficult to determine, like, to to look at someone and immediately figure out their team because you could be an anarchist who was kind of wearing, you know, like a trench coat and with kind of blue and grey hues. And it's like, is that is that is that my team? I can't tell. Yeah. Oh well. And, and yeah, so it was very, it was way, and it basically ended up allowing way for way too much kind of I, noise. I, I don't know if it's just me, but I distinctly remember twenty eleven being a very disappointing video game year. So I, I'm not surprised there was a 2011 game. Anyway, I think anyway. Sky, yeah, I feel actually I don't know. I thought it was oh, Skyrim. Yeah, I, Sky, I guess it was basically Skyrim and then not much else. Yeah, not, nothing that I can recall anyway. Really, 2011. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but I mean, 2011 was what was it? I don't know. I, it wasn't in that my extensive quiz of the noughties. Yeah, no, obviously, I think I it was mean, like. I guess check back in in 2020 for our... By the eternal Call of Duty calendar, the Call of Duty Mayan clock, what was that game that year? Was it Modern Warfare 3? Because it was shit. Or was it... It could have been Ghosts. It could have... Or it might have been Ghosts. Was Ghosts 2011? No, Ghosts is more recent. And it was also shit. I think it could have been Modern Warfare 3, yeah. And it... The only other other things from... The only other thing from 2011, I remember, was Portal oh, 2. Oh, Portal 2, actually. yeah. Fair, fair news, actually. Portal 2 is a yeah. really good game. I, I'm actually, I'm always surprised it's so old, because it's it's still such like a, a fresh-feeling game. But anyway. Anyway. Uh, mm. I mean, yeah, but yeah, so I picked that up again, because it was free. And, and basically, <laughs> almost immediately put it back down. But 
you know, give it a go if you because it's free. It's worth seeing and being like, wow, there are some cool ideas here. Shame it sucks. <laughs> uh, but another game I played, which was really fun, was a game called Twelve Orbits because basically I had a whole lot of people over for some kind of local multiplayer games, uh, and I'd seen this game called Twelve Orbits on the Steam store. And it was like 99p, and I was like, and it advertised local multiplayer for up to 12 players. I was like, okay, well, that sounds ideal. I'll get it. And you can have 12 people playing this game on the same keyboard, because all anyone needs is a single button. So at the start of the game, basically everyone just taps the button that they want to use. So like you just choose a key on the keyboard, tap it, and then that becomes your assigned key. And the way it works is you're kind of in a in a little map that has lots of little kind of grayed out circles dotted about the place. And those are things that you can orbit. And so you start off and you're a little like you kind of look like almost like a little sort of sperm thing. You're like a circle with a little trail. And you and you just go in a straight line. And the way you change and you can tap your button if you're not in one of the grey circles to do a little like spiral which like boosts you forward a little bit and will actually dodge you through anything in your way. Uh, and when you're it, mm. when you're in a grey circle that has a little point in the middle, you tap the button and you'll start to orbit the circle. So the only way to change the direct, like to change the direction, is to fly through a little circle, start to orbit it, and then unorbit yourself at the right time to go in, go in the right oh, direction. I see. And the way you win is okay. there are loads and loads of just kind of ping pong balls bouncing around this little two D rectangle that start off as white, and when you bump into a white one, it changes to your color. If you ever bump into one that is someone else's colour, you die, and basically all your ping pong balls become theirs. And so you're trying to be the last person alive, like to survive, essentially. And it's and it's got and it's got a really Sounds fun little momentum really system because you'll bounce into a ping pong ball, but then it it like it applies its physics, and so it'll completely change your tra- trajectory. But yeah, it's 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 great. Yeah. I mean, like just just the joy of like. I think we had seven people on trying to trying to like crowd around one keyboard <laughs> in order to play this game. Wow! <laughs> like climbing over each other on like one sofa. <laughs> um, yeah, it was ninety-nine p, and it was it was great fun for kind of half an hour. But and apparently, you can good. get it on tablet as well, so you can have a whole lot of people crowding around. A oh tablet. wow! I don't use seven-inch Android, <laughs> seven-inch uh, Amazon Fire tablet. That you borrowed off your ground, get seven people around it. <laughs> well, like I think it reminded me of this. I think there's an iPhone, like a or a touchscreen game where everyone puts their finger on the screen, and the way you win is you're the last person to have a <laughs> finger on the screen. This sounds like it could turn violent. <laughs> yeah, it just and like that's the game. You just have to have your be the last person touching the screen. Beat the shit out of everybody else. <laughs> like I wonder how many phones it's broken. <laughs> Grab the phone, <laughs> pushing just. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, those are the kind of new-ish things I've been playing. Uh, I've been going, and I've been going back to XCOM Two in excitement for War of the Chosen, which will have been released by the time this podcast comes out. I think it's released today, the uh, Monday the twenty eighth. Uh, but yeah, but cool. I've been going easy on myself. Basically, I'm not going full Iron Man, but I'm not going complete reloading every save. I'm just relying on auto saves, so I only get like three turns leeway. So I'm, enough, I'm not enough. as hard as myself at, that I was yeah, in the beginning. Yeah. So I'm trying to trying to somehow relax and play XCOM. That's fair. Uh, Don't know how you manage that. That's my stress. Yourself, yeah. Nevi, you've been 
playing any any of the, the games eh? Uh, I've been playing Elder Scrolls online a bit, but I'll talk about it next time because we've uh, we're, we're over an hour mark, True. so yeah. um, I'll skip it. It gives me chance to play it a bit more, have some more thoughts. Um, I'll, I'll yeah, I'll let you know some more about that next time. Uh, do we have a quick ten minutes to talk about one or two board games, George, and then Sounds we'll good. wrap up? Um, have you been playing anything? Uh, not really. I um, I got I got Race for the Galaxy the other day, and I've been trying to learn it, and it's just confusing. Are you doing the sensible thing of getting your game and then learning before you try and play with anyone else. Yeah, yeah. I, I've sat down. I done. I did a dummy game. I think. I think I get how it works now. But it was like it's it's one of those games that it, it's just it's just it looks really ugly compared to a lot of games like that like newer games you can tell it's age by like some of the cards are just and it uses this weird hieroglyphic system for a lot of things so it comes with a, a cheat sheet that's this uh, sort of a4 size bit of paper that tells you what all the symbols mean and yeah, it's going to be a hard sell, I think, to my family, that one. So I might have to just get some friends to play it instead. Because that's, uh, yeah, it's um, well confusing. I tried to sit down and learn it with my brother the other day. After I'd, after I'd learned it, and he was like, what? Can we just play something else? So I was like, yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. This, it doesn't make sense properly at first. So it's... Because um, what is it? You're, it's like so you're sort of building the up a little galactic empire, right? Yeah, so you're building like a, a galactic tableau in front of you of up to twelve cards. Once you hit twelve, the game ends, and you build, you get planets and developments. Uh, by doing that, in order to do that though, um, before you start doing anything, each player chooses a specific phase that they want to happen in a round, and then everybody does all of the phases that were chosen, and then the person who chose one of them gets to do a bonus thing. So, for example, there are five. There's five phases, however, two of the phases also have two options for them, which makes it just really confusing just to have six or seven, if you, to be honest. But, um, yeah, so for, there's, for example, Explore lets you look at the stack of cards in the middle of the table, uh, take, I think it's like two, generally. Take two, pick one, discard the other face down, and then if you chose to do it, you can take more cards and keep more cards. Because all, all the cards count as currency, goods, as well as planets that you play. Because in order to play a planet or development, you have to discard cards equal to its cost. So there is a bit of divvying up what you want to what you want to keep, what you want to get rid of. It's just interesting. It, it's it's interesting. And I, I'm gonna I'm actually gonna play it properly with, at some with point. But God, it was such a fast learn. It was like. The, the rules are really convoluted. I just looked at the video in the end. I was like, oh, okay, that's what that means. <laughs> Got you. <laughs> so it, it did a really crap job of explaining how, how goods worked, for example. I was I was like, so what are the goods then? How do I consume them? I don't understand. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I looked at it. Had to YouTube that. Had to crack like, open your copy of Karl just... Marx's Das Kapital yeah. to understand it. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't think it was just me being dense because I've I've learned rules for games relatively quickly and teach them all right. So I was just like, I don't, I just don't get how this one bit works. But yeah, I'll um, I'll, I'll re- report back on it in the future. So what about you, George, what you've been playing? I got to play Lessons from Whitechapel, which is a yet another hidden movement game in the vein of the Fury of Dracula series. But rather than chasing a Dracula around Europe, 
you are the police chasing Jack the Ripper around Whitechapel. Uh, and it was really interesting to play. It's a game I've had for a while, but I've kind of and played a couple of times when I first got it, and now it's been sitting on my shelf for about a year. Hadn't taken it off, and then playing for your Dracula made me want to bring it down again because basically it's it's really it's a love it's a beautifully themed game in the sense that it's got a, this gorgeous board, this kind of Victorian sort of tea stained map of Whitechapel. But the actual game itself is uh, like. I guess it's quite crunchy, like it's very like simplified and quite hardcore compared with Fury of Dracula, which is also heavily themed, but there's lots of kind of fluffy actions and kind of getting stocking up on garlic and get getting cards and building inventory, whereas Letters from Whitechapel is just the police move, they see if Jack is on a space, or they can try and arrest on that space, and Jack just run like runs away. And so basically at the start of the game, Jack chooses a space on the board to be his hideout. Uh, and then there are four rounds, and at the start of each round, Jack will murder uh, one of his victims at a point on the board, and then has to escape to his hideout, and that ends the round. And yeah. it is punishing for the police, like it is a very hard game for the police to win. So while you had the vampire hunters in Fury of Dracula, who basically almost by luck can get Dracula's location, because you're constantly drawing kind of event cards and things that happen, um, yeah, that can just force Dracula to reveal bits of his trail. Uh, but there is absolutely nothing like that in Lester of Whitechapel. It is simply the police have to move, check for clues at a location. Basically, right. has Jack been there or not? And that is all the information they get. And so it's right, really okay. and so yeah, basically the police you are given absolutely nothing. There is no like comeback mechanic for you if you are not doing well. Like it's hardcore. It's yeah. There's no. There's no. There's like it's pain. It can be really painful to be the police, and especially because Jack something like it has this wonderful arc of at the start. You're like, it's as Jack. You 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 feel very confident because you're like run rings around the police, who are basically you see them sitting across the table, kind of like sweating because they can't find you, and it's frustrating. And so you have this kind of wonderful arrogance, and then the game kind of progresses and. There'll be a certain point where suddenly the police might not even know it, but they have discovered enough locations that you've been to. So they're like, oh, he's been to this space. Then we think he went to this space and this space. And like, they're right. And you, ha- as Jack, mm. you've got to keep this poker face because you can't reveal that they're right. And so yeah. if you've been kind of joking around, laugh- like, not like, like not laughing at them, but kind of, you know, like perhaps playing the role of a. You know, someone trying to confound his pursuers. So you, you almost kind of have to keep it up, even though inside you're going, "Oh God, they're right around the corner." Because you like, <laughs> and like, sometimes, sometimes you'll the police will look over at Jack, who's just been silent and just st- like silent and staring at the board. And you have to do this kind of wonderful poker face. They'll be like, "Is he there?" And like you could, and you just have to be like, you can't react, you can't smile because you, you you've got to sit this whole game staring at them. Because mm. with Fury of Dracula, there's so much information that you can get from kind of random chance. Whereas in the yeah. of Whitechapel, it is just what the police can find through the ability to find clues. And right. looking at Jack and his reactions. Right. It's such a weird idea that like you uh, this game where like obviously the police are hunting a serial killer, but uh you know in reality he's sitting across <laughs> he's, from him and right they can there. use use some mind games. <laughs> yeah like, think... like I WhatsApp them a picture of my because, like, as Jack, every time you, you move, you don't plot it on the board, you just write down 
the space. Right. So it was like I was at space one two one, and then I moved to space one three six. And so you, at the end of the game, you have all of your moves tracked out on paper. But like, mm. so like you can taunt people by like taking a picture of your thing, and then like I was using the WhatsApp image editor just to put a big emoji over <laughs> the bit where my where my home base was written. <laughs> um, but yeah, like as Jack, you're you're really like you you're, like Jack has a couple of powers where he can like spend a carriage, do a double move, or he can kind of like spend a thing to like phase through a kind of city block on the board. Ah, oh, those those famous yeah. superpowers. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's it's really tough on the police because if they do, if they there's nothing absolutely nothing to help them if they're struggling. They just lose, and it is yeah. So it can be particularly frustrating for the police. Um, slightly more relaxed. I find I tried sushi go, Levy, as you'll be happy to hear, and that was that was really fun. Oh, good. I liked that. Yeah, I know it is good. It was just at the end of an evening. It was just a lovely a lovely game that made me feel very hungry looking at these like illustrated <laughs> cards of sushi. Yeah, no, it's really cute. It's just really light as well. It's nice. Um, it's one of those games you can just play with anyone because it's easy to pick up. Yeah, it was yeah, it was super easy. Mm. Uh, and then, yeah, the other thing I played was I guess this kind of blur, blurs the uh, the video game board game divide. Uh, Jackbox Party, which is a it's essentially a video game collection of board game ish types, like sort of party games. Uh, but it's, it's a really cool system. So basically, you set it up on the computer, uh, and then everyone interacts with the computer via their phones. And we only played yeah. two because I think there were seven of us playing, uh, and there were only there were only two games in the pack that took up that like took that number, and apparently the guy the guy mm. said the others weren't great. Which pack was it? Um, I can't remember. It was well, two. What, what there's, game there's, 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 there's Jack. This thing is party packs one, two, and three. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What games were so we played? Play? I think it was. There was one where you had to lie. So basically, you answer every, every the you were asked a question, and you had to submit a lie that was an answer to that question, and the game would throw in some as well. And then, so you you'd all submit your answer on the phone. So I can't remember like one of them was like they're all kind of one thing so it was like well, like one of the, the only question I vaguely remember was like at some point Lucy Lou admitted to having sex with blank uh, and so you you write your answer and so there's obviously a lot of you know it's, it's slightly kind of yeah. style scope for humour and the yeah. way you get points is you submit your answer it reveals everyone's answers but just it doesn't show you who's is who's and you have to select one that you think is the real answer so yeah. the game puts in the real answer. And you get points for choosing the real answer as well as points for people that chose your answer. So basically you've got to kind of submit an answer that is believable and people will think is the right answer, but will find the right answer yourself. And it's good fun. And then also there's a you can like people's answers. There's also a prize for the most liked answers. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember that game. I can't remember what it's actually called. Mm. Yeah, uh, and then Unless there was... The, uh... no, and then the, the other one was a drawing one, so you yeah, that's it. get given a... Which is, yeah, it was similar, so oh. each person is given a, a thing that they're told to draw. 
Yeah, some of them are ridiculous. It's like drawful, Elvis on a toilet. That's it, drawful. So yeah, you're told, you basically you draw yeah. a little, you little sketch out a little thing on your on your on your phone, and then it gets displayed to everyone. Yeah, and so you know what the the, the name of the thing you had to draw was, and then everyone else writes like the lie one. Everyone else writes a name for what yeah. they think it was, and then it shows all the names, and you choose what you think it was. I, th- I think the other. Oh one... wait, no, maybe it's just you write the name of what you think it was. Yeah. Oh no! Yeah, so you wrote the name what you think it was, yeah, and yeah. everyone chooses which one they think is right. Yeah, and the same and, thing—you get points for guessing yours and points for getting right. Yeah, the Jackbox games are incredible. Like, they're, they're really funny. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it was just, it's just, it was a really really good like. Yeah, it's a really fun laugh, and it worked really well with the phone. It was really easy because it's just a web app that you. Yeah, that's the amazing thing. You don't need much setup for it. Like it's just everyone no. who has a phone, and everyone has a phone. Mm. It just yeah, it just says go to jackbox.tv uh, like yeah, you put in the code yeah, and then you put in like a four letter code that it shows on the TV, and you're immediately in, and you mm. get to give yourself a yeah, stupid it's... name and draw a little avatar for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was it was great fun. It immediately kind of just sets up little stupid in jokes and things. Yeah, like giving stupid answers because think... like it's so it's. Half the fun is just giving uh, a clever, like a, st- a funny or witty answer, that, even though you know that it, in no way is no one ever going to vote for it. Just because, like, the mm. moment at which it reveals people's answers or drawings is is is, is the best bit. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Like, <laughs> I think the one I played the other day was they're kind of variable. I think the first one's pretty solid; like, all the games in it are decent. But the one I played the other day with my friends is I think it was the third one, pack, the third pack. And there were like, mm. like, three good games, and the other two were absolute gash. Yeah, like, from what I'd read, it was always like there's a couple, there's like two good games in each pack, and some crap ones in each one. Some of them are kind of mm. filler. So they sometimes kind of work, but the one that I think the ones I played, one of them was um, you had to find like basically everyone was given a thing that they had to raise their hand for or point to someone. And one person was uh, the faker, and they weren't actually given... They just had to pretend that they were engaging with it. And then, obviously, they had to figure it out. That one was really good, because, obviously, it would be like... I don't know... Uh, I can't remember. One of them was, like, raise your hand if you... One of them was, raise your hand if you sleep next to a toy at night. And... <laughs> Like, obviously the one person wouldn't be told that, and so everyone else would have their hands down, and you'd probably put your hand up or something, and you'd just have to make up a convincing lie. That's a and bit then... like uh, Fake Artists in New York, almost. Which is a game. Ah. It's a board game where... Oh, that is a good game. It's kind of the thing where basically every, what your... Everyone, everyone basically, knows every, what they should yeah, be drawing. So basically like one person is the game master, and gives everyone a card, and on the card it will say... Like giraffe uh, or something. The wind, the wind, yeah, like or the wind yeah. in the willows, like a film. And basically, well, but one person gets a card which is just blank, or like it says you're the fake mm. artist. And so a, a piece of paper is passed around the table, and each person has to draw a bit of something. Uh, and they're only allowed; to, they can't take. You can't have to take your yeah. pen off the paper if your pen comes off the paper. Yeah, it's a single drawing. line, and everyone's got uh, their own color pen as well, so you can tell what, yeah. <laughs> which one, which line each person's drawn. And so, and you have to. And the basic way it works is the paper, paper goes round, everyone draws something. Obviously, one person has no idea what they're meant to be drawing. But then at the end of the game, you're trying to find the person that doesn't know what the subject is. 
So yeah. you're trying to draw something that conveys to everyone else you know what it is, but doesn't convey to the person who doesn't know what it is what it is mm. you're drawing. Because if you... Even if you find them, if you, so if you find the, the fake artist, they get one last ditch attempt to guess what it like to win by just guessing what the theme yeah. was. It's really, it's really strong. Uh-huh. You get some hilariously crap drawings as well out of it. Yeah, so it starts off and you, <laughs> usually everyone just draws something like really obvious, but then as you play like two or three games, because it's really quick, everyone just gets more and more obscure. Because uh, you can and you can add to other people's drawings or draw like half of something and then add more on the second time round. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that's a, that's a great for a game. And you don't even need to buy the game; it's so easy to just play with like pen. And that paper. is true. It, it, yeah, because once once you know the rules, you don't actually. No, need you to don't. It comes in a really cute tiny box. It's like size of a smartphone sort of thing, or like a. a ma- well, it's maybe even smaller than that yeah. actually, but it's a cute tiny box, and it gives you all the pens and all the pad and stuff. So and some whiteboards, which is always nice. So you have to have your own bits for that. But no, it's yeah, it's really good. That I, I really enjoy um, fake artist. Yeah. Should we wrap up, guys? Unless like, there's anything else, else yeah, probably, worth... Yeah, probably put a ball on uh, it. We've run long, as usual. <laughs> I'd say we've, we've run... As usual. I think at this point, we're, we're yeah, so used to it. At this point... We, we might... We need a bit more discipline. To, I think uh, this this could be actually our shortest podcast yet. Because... Uh, <laughs> we, we've never... Uh, we've not talked a half hour. So <laughs> it's not bad. Uh, yeah. Hour. I'll just remind people listening that we are still doing the book club uh, book of the games people play. That's the name of the book, isn't it? Which we'll be doing. We're going to try and discuss next podcast. Is that what we agreed? Yeah, we'll, we'll discuss next, the yeah. next episode. By Eric Byrne, yes. MD. Yeah, it is a. Be warned, you will, you will, if you do read along with us, it is not a immediately, obviously, video games related book, as it is a detailed thesis on psychoanalysis and an exploration of people's egos and the way they interact yeah. with each other. I think you'll find if, if people play board games they'll probably find more uh, more relevance than if they just play video games I'd say. Yeah. So we're going so we're going to finish the book off next time and desperately yeah. try and relate it to games. <laughs> it does way. mean it does mean that you can finally achieve your dreams of becoming like you know that one like psychology undergrad friend <laughs> who who is always like psychoanalyzing his mm. his pals and everyone no, finds it really yeah. annoying. You no, can be that yeah. person. Learn one one school of thought on psychoanalysis and apply it in every situation. Exactly, like having read a single uh, psychiatry essay and then constantly <laughs> citing it. It's just like that. Exactly. Right. So let's wrap up. Um, Thank you for listening to the Bits and Pieces podcast. If you found us without the website attached, you can find us at bitsandpieces.games or on Twitter at bitsplusPieces and on Facebook at Those Bits and Pieces as well as Instagram at Those Bits and Pieces. Did I get that right? Uh, yeah, our Instagram is Those yes. Bits and Pieces. Right, awesome. You can follow me specifically at Nevada Drew on Twitter and you guys are... I am at underscore scruffy looking, capital S, capital L. And I have finally shook myself free of the shackles of my old Twitter <laughs> name, and I am now at Gavbit. <laughs> <That's>, right. <laughs> Sorry, it just sounds rude. <laughs> it does sound rude. It's, well, you know. I mean, I guess it wasn't Gav. I suppose it's true. Gav, well, 
I mean, uh, that's the name, but I make no promises about <laughs> yeah, the content. Just dick pics. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I don't know how how long it'll take for Twitter to ban me, but uh, until that time, I'm going to keep on going. Right. Once again, thank you for listening. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Yeah, I feel like, like, I, I don't know if anyone noticed there, but I, I slipped off the toilet and came back. Anyway. Uh, just so everyone knows, it's very important everyone understands my bodily functions. Let's get a yard real quick.